So just a reminder, uh, you can catch any parts of our sermon that you might have been missing out on on our SoundCloud. I'm very proud of that. We've had, oops, we've had over 100 uh, people listening in over the last couple of months um, in places as far away as Syria and Palestine, Brazil, Costa Rica, Chile, um, and of course, right here in Brisbane, we had over 40 people subscribing and listening. So praise the Lord for that service and for the opportunity we have to share in that space of discipleship and connection. I was driving down the back end, I think local folk call it, uh, heading out towards the, the mountain there, and I saw the strangest sign. I saw a sign that said, no access to Mount Amway. Do you know the one? Do you know it? It's, it's down by the sports courts. And I, I was disappointed. <laughs> I was disappointed because I thought to myself, Mount Tambourine is such a beautiful spot, isn't it? And wouldn't it be lovely to be able to take some kind of mountainous back route? I'm sure they exist. I'm sure there are a couple of ways, you know, via Bore Desert or the Scenic Rim, where you could get up there. But I was disappointed about this sign because you know what this sign said? It actually said, stop. Don't go. You're not going to find your scenic route through here. And it made me feel, I don't know, a little bit of a sense of unwelcome and unease. But challenge. Oh, I was challenged. Because you know what I wanted to do? That's right. I wanted to find the back road to Mount Tamarind. I wanted to find a way of getting up there and trying to, to have that scenic look out there. So, so friends, next time you're out there, you know, don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. Turn off the GPS. I challenge you. And get lost. It's a beautiful country. We live in a beautiful country, a beautiful part of the world. And sometimes it's nice to just drive 40 minutes in a direction you don't quite know, <laughs> don't quite understand, and discover something new. Joseph was also met with a signal. A signal which to him said, stop, don't go any further. And that signal was that the woman he was going to marry, the woman whom he loved, was pregnant. A man of honor, a man of faith. He wanted to divorce her quietly. I, I think that's such an interesting turn of phrase for Matthew to use. He wanted to divorce her quietly. It's, it's, it's so interesting that he wants to put it in those terms because, of course, that would have rendered Mary really a pariah in her society, it would have ruined her life, no matter how little or as much noise as Joseph would have wanted to make about it, it would not have been a good thing to do to her. It may not have affected him a lot, but it would not have been a very good thing for her. And instead of following that signal, he gets a different one. He gets one that challenges him. And a little bit like me, I think he took on that challenge and he wanted to find that back road. But it wasn't so that he would get lost. It was so that he would be saved, so that he would be found in the greatest story ever told. With that said, I invite you to bow your heads with me as we gather around the word and contemplate what this
the signal means for us. Father, I thank you for this day. I ask you to be with us as we open your word. May we meet with you and encounter with you and hear your voice through this. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to ask the AV to put me down a little bit. I feel like I'm very loud over here. So thank you. Appreciate that. It's lovely. All right. So what do we have here? Because Joseph was faithful to the Lord, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Commentators tell us that there was a mechanism in that day to do this. Do you know what it was? They would go away to a different part of the country and they would secretly have a meeting with elders, Pharisees, people who knew and understood the law of Moses, and they would have the engagement annulled as a result. They would have the marriage annulled as a result. And Mary would probably have had to stay in that part of the country, isolated and disconnected from friends and family for a specific period of time. If you read in the law of Moses, you find that this is often the solution, isn't it? In the law of Moses, quite often, if there was a troublesome person because of something they'd done or said or even who they were, the goal was to remove them from the camp for a certain period. And shh, we don't talk about Bruno. All the kids got that. <laughs> All the kids got that reference. We don't talk about them. We ignore them. We leave them out of the camp. And after a while, maybe they can come back and rejoin. But here is one of those wonderful instances where God looks at his law and goes, yeah and no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to change things. I'm going to break your expectations because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my law and I'm going to crack it just enough so that my will will be clearly seen through it because only God can break his laws. And when he does that, what do we call it? A miracle. You see, the law, the law of the world says that when someone is sick, they die. Says that when something is going wrong, there is recompense. But yet God sent his son directly to break that law. And we call that a miracle. To have his son come and go up on that cross to die and be that sacrifice in our place is a miracle. And that is what God foreshadows here, signals here. Because this one young woman should not have been pregnant. And the law said that Joseph had to divorce her quietly. That's what this verse is trying to tell us. They were trying to do the right thing. But was it the right thing by God? No. Because God had another masterful plan instead to do. The angel says to Joseph, do not leave her. For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save their people from their sins. Jesus. That beautiful name we're saying about. Now you might know and be aware that Jesus means Joshua. It's a Greek version of that name, Joshua. 
It was shortened from Jehoshua to Yeshua in the time of Christ. And that's why it is transliterated to Jesus. But what does that mean? Yeshua is written in this way. And those letters, the first ones that you see there, is the original Hebrew writing of it. The word Joseph, Joshua, sorry, means salvation. God will save. And this is so, so important because we see the, the second instance of that word actually comes to us from the book of Exodus where on that day, Yehoshua, Yeshua, yeah? Adonai. I've written there Adonai because I'm respecting my Jewish friends. They say you can't pronounce the name of God. But the name there would be Yahweh. Yoshua, Yahweh. That word, when brought together, is Yeshua. You know the story from Sunday school? The Egyptians are chasing the Israelites. Moses parts the Red Sea. And they walk through and then on the other side they turn around and they look and they see that the sea is closed in and they are no longer in pursuit. This is the verse that comes right after it. And this is so important because I want you to understand that Jesus' role is not just to save our souls when we die. No. In the same way how this verse here describes how the pursuers were stopped and salvation came afterwards, we need to understand that Jesus saves us from the persecution we face even today. From the perseverance of the enemy. From the hatefulness of a society that would reject us and chastise us from our faith. I've said to you before, dear friends, when the world rejects you, it's not you they're rejecting. It's the Christ in you. And this is why. Now, I mentioned before, this is the second instance of that word salvation. That day, God saved Yeshua. The first instance was when Moses fought the bullies who were assaulting the women at the well as he was escaping to Midian. Isn't that amazing? Like, I think that is just crazy. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what are you talking about? You see, you've got to remember, in their language, all of these things made sense because they all, these sounds existed there and they all connected. So as they're reading from the book of Exodus, they're hearing the names of their friends. They're hearing these words coming up. And as the angel speaks to Joseph, he hears his name will be Yeshua. God saves because he will save his people. And I would wager as a good man of faith, Joseph thought back to that passage, to that moment when Israel was no longer under persecution. And he would have looked at his own nation in between wars and famines, in between competing kingdoms, factions within Israel fighting to prove themselves, to find a place. He would have said, Lord, we need salvation now. And I wonder, dear friends, if any of you are feeling that 
this morning. This Christmas tree is a signal. These candles that have gone out are a signal that we expect Christ. That we know December 25th is coming. For some of us, December 24th, yes? And we will stay up and we will eat and we will struggle to stay awake, maybe have a little coffee. And then we will gather together under the tree. And in my family, we say a prayer of thanksgiving for God's gift of Jesus Christ before we open the presents. Others of you will wake up early on a Sunday morning and you will be ready to open the presents in that moment. And these things are signals of the fact that that day is coming. Isn't that exciting? Just ask the kids. But there are also signals of God's salvation that is coming as well. Isaiah spoke to the king of a coming king. He spoke to King Ahaz and he said, The Lord himself will give you King Ahaz a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. And before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread, the war coming on your horizon will be laid to waste. Now, this prophecy is really, really important. Number one, it is because I believe that Matthew is referencing this because that is what convinced Joseph. Joseph was ready to go and divorce Mary, wasn't he? He was ready to take her away and do that. But somehow, when the angel said this, it was enough. And this is what I'm telling you. Why? Because in his mind, Joseph was a man of faith and he knew this. He knew that Isaiah had prophesied that from a virgin... Son would be born, born and he will be called God with us. God's salvation was on the horizon. Now what's important about this is in the book of Matthew, we have Jesus' genealogy, his family line. I'm not going to go through all of it. It is very confusing. But let me tell you, it was the first passage that I ever translated from Greek into my native language. And it's wonderful because it's very repetitive. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So it was a great introduction for me to read the characters and learn it and understand it. So I, I know it quite well, not that I have it memorized. But I began to see a pattern and there was a pattern that was emerging. I'm going to show you a part of it. In the genealogy in Matthew, we see that King David is mentioned. From King David, we find a path through Ahaz, that same king that Isaiah spoke to, to Jesus. This is really important. Ahaz was not a good king. You would not want to brag about him. You would not want to put his name in the list of your relatives. You would be ashamed of that. But why is this important? Because Isaiah came to Ahaz and said the virgin would give birth to a son. Between King David and Ahaz were ten generations. This is important. Ten generations. Because within the Jewish cultural mindset, that is a number that is talking about something being complete, rounded off, made whole. The narrative of King David had to end with Ahaz. Why? 
Because Ahaz allowed his land to be taken by foreign kings. That is what this is actually trying to say to you. And in that, there is a sense of hope and desperation. Because if the, if the land that God had promised Israel had to be taken and given over to foreign kings. Tell me, is it God that's saving the grass and the dirt and the animals? No, God was saving the people. And Yeshua, that salvation that happened back in Exodus, that would happen after Ahaz, would happen 20 generations later in Jesus. And you know, next year marks a thousand years from our earliest estimates of the birth of William the Conqueror. Do you know who William the Conqueror is? Tell me. Tell me. He was a nominee, conquered England. He was a French guy <laughs> from Guernsey who conquered England. In 1066. So not quite a thousand years, but this is the earliest we think he was born. Now think about how different the world is today from that. Think about all that has happened, all that has transpired, all that has changed. We think about King David and Jesus almost as contemporaries, do we not? We don't fundamentally think about that they wore different clothes or technology was very different from King David to Jesus. How arrogant. I'm sorry, but it's true. Friends, I challenge us to change our mindset around this and realize that Jesus and King David were very, very far apart. But in that there is hope because God's promise was fulfilled within those thousand years. And it is being talked about now, 2,000 years later. Why? Because the story is not over, is it? I promise you, my friends, in my heart, it is not over. I want to see Jesus. I want to see him at work in my life in our community, in your lives, out there in the world. Jesus is coming. And in the same way that Joseph experienced Christ in a way he was categorically not expecting, I hope that we experience Christ in a new, exciting and different way. I told you before that it wasn't the dirt and the grass that Jesus was saving, but the people. In 1 Peter, he says, you are a chosen people. He's talking to the church. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. But so that we would have a purpose. That you may declare the praises of him who saved you, who called you out of the darkness. And into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. 
I want to conclude with the words that we hear Christ say in his own prophecy. Thank you, Kimmy. Jesus is telling a few stories about when he will return. He talks about virgins with lampstands, doesn't he? And he says some of them will be ready and they'll have their lampstands filled with oil and others will be empty. And they'll say, help us fill our lampstands. And the others will say, we cannot. Because the groom's here and we have to go with him. He tells a story of a banquet. And a king who is welcoming people to his banquet. And his dear, beloved loved ones are... Well, they're not there. They, they've rejected him. They don't want to come to his banquet. So he goes out into the street and he asks beggars and sick people to come and join him in the banquet. And they have a wonderful face. Jesus tells this third parable. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The people say, Jesus, when, when did we do that? We, we didn't do that for you. When did we come and clothe you and give you to eat and care for you? And he says, you did this for the least of my brothers. You did it for the ones who were homeless. You did it for the ones who were broken hearted. You did it for the ones who were weeping for family and loved ones. When you did it for them, you did it for me. Sometimes when we talk about Jesus coming again, we think about end of days type stuff. But friends, I want to encourage you to experience Christ, not at the end of the day, but at the beginning, the middle, and every day. For when you love with the love of Christ, you love Him. When you share with the love of Christ, you share Christ. That's what Christmas is really about. That is the signal, dear friends, that we can give. The Christmas tree is lovely. The Advent candles are nice. But the flame of Christ in your own heart should not go out. Let us fill that light in such a way, a flame, that will cause all the darkness to flee. Amen? Let's conclude our time together with a word of prayer. Jesus, we love you so much. And we are so grateful that we can celebrate you at this time. That you are here. That we can continue to worship you and call upon your name. So Father, may we be ever conscious of Christ at work in our lives. And I invite your Holy Spirit to remind us that Christ's love 
moves throughout our lives. Help us be that signal of Christ's reality in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.